Morning, church. Isn't that a wonderful time of worship? Isn't that good? So good. Um, DL uh, left out a message this morning. I'm kind of surprised, so I'm going to give it. Uh, today is DL, Pastor DL and Tiffany's 18th wedding anniversary. So, yeah. Congratulations, guys. And one other thing, so many things uh, going on this time of year, but one other message or, or uh, um, announcement I wanted to make sure to get to you is that this Wednesday is our centered night of prayer. First Wednesday of every month, 6 o'clock, we meet here in the sanctuary for time of prayer and worship, and everybody's invited. We go from 6 to about 7, so if you can make it and you want to uh, spend that time with us, we would love to see you. Well, we are in the season of Advent, and, uh, and I have a request of you. You know, before I became a pastor, I was a social worker, and, and I kind of got there by going to GCC for a couple years and discovering that I really like psychology, and then I went to SUNY Binghamton, and I got my bachelor's in psych there, and then I went off and got my master's in social work in St. Louis. But uh, at SUNY Binghamton, one of the fun things that we got to do was to do lab experiments with mice. Okay, have you, any of you been, had the joy of doing that, you know? Just training mice to run mazes and things like that, doing different things. So I got thinking that, that today I would like to do a little psychological study with you. I'm not comparing you to mice. I'm not making any association there. But are you willing to do a little psychological study with me this morning? Yeah, okay. That didn't sound really very enthusiastic, but we're going to go ahead with it anyway. I know you're a little nervous, like, what's he going to ask us to do? It's really simple. I'm going to show you some pictures, and I just want you to kind of, you know, process your internal reaction to these pictures. Okay, that's all it is. Very simple. So here's the first one, okay? So take a look at that and just kind of get a, get a response, whatever that makes you think of. And then here's, here's the You might even see a theme as we go through. Here's the third. Okay. All right, next. Four. And here's the fifth. And there's one more. Okay. Did you get the theme? You get the theme. Don't you love this picture, by the way? Isn't this great? You know, I just really hate it. Uh, when I text message somebody and, and I get those dots back and they're kind of blinking, you know, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And, and then, and then the real they really hate is when they disappear. It's like, what? <laughs> what is going on? Well, I kind of gave it away. There is a theme to all of those pictures. I don't know if you got it, but here it is. It's waiting. Okay, and each of those pictures describes some way in which we have to wait for something, right? You have to wait at railroad crossings, you have to wait for babies to be born, you have to wait in waiting rooms, all of those things describe in some way or other waiting, okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about today uh, in the second week of Advent. Waiting is a, a universal experience, right? It's something we can all identify with. All people throughout all time have had to wait for something or other, for many things. I almost, uh, and I didn't, but I almost thought about counting up all the times I waited this morning just to get here, you know? Um, but I, I didn't do it. But it's just something we all experience. You know, I, I was thinking about this. I, I, I like to run, as you know, and, and right now I have to wait. I like to run early in the morning, get it out of the way. But I have to wait for the sun to come up 
stop. I live out in the country. There's no street lights, uh, and, and it's too dark to run before the sun comes up. So I'm getting up in the morning, and I'm waiting for the sun to come up so I can run. And then at, at, at the other end of the day, uh, Deb and I find ourselves around 830 uh, waiting for it to be a decent hour to go to bed, you know, because, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like you should go to bed at 830, right? You know, used to be 11, and then it was like 10, and now it's moved up to about 9. Someday we're going to be going to bed after breakfast, and, and it's going to be all very easy. But, uh, but we wait, right? And, and my main point today is that we all wait, but how we wait and what we are waiting for makes all the difference. How we wait and what we wait for makes all the difference in terms of our waiting. So season of Advent, season, you could call it the season of waiting. We're waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're also waiting for the return of Jesus. That's a, a waiting time we're in, all of us, right now. We are waiting for Jesus to come back, as he promised that he will do. So everybody waits, but not all people wait alike. One of the things that, that our, our thinking about our own waiting can reveal to us is what our faith is like. Right? Because there's a lot of times we have to wait for things and we just have to trust God. So if we have a real hard time waiting, it, it might be saying, it could, not always, but it could be saying something about where our faith is at. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I want to talk about this by looking at one of the people of Christmas. Normally during this time, we'll talk about people like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds and so on. Well, I want to talk to you about, about somebody who really comes on the scene after the birth of Jesus. Um, and, and, uh, and look at his story. So this is in Luke chapter 2. His name is Simeon. And let me just read uh, that portion of Scripture for you. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting, there's that word, for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So what's going on here? Let, let, let's think about this. It's uh, when Jesus was born, eight days after he was born, his parents uh, did what Jewish parents did in that day, what the custom was. Eight days after he was born, they circumcised him, and then they gave him a name. They gave him the name Jesus in Greek or Joshua in Hebrew. It means uh, the Lord saves. Uh, I was thinking about this naming of the children on the eighth day. You know, our practice is normally to name our children as soon as they're born. Dem and I, our youngest child, we were in Perkins uh, and, and kind of feeling like, you know, we probably should get to the hospital because she's in labor, uh, but we can't go yet because we haven't figured out what name we're going to give the child. So we have to sit here in Perkins until we figure out the name, and then we'll go, and then we'll have the child. And that's what we did. Uh, crazy as that might sound, but everything worked out fine, and he actually just had a birthday on Friday. We talked to him last night. He's doing wonderful. But um, anyway, uh, their practice, Jewish practice, was to name their children on the eighth day, uh, and if it was a boy, to circumcise them. Now it's about six weeks after his birth, after the birth of Jesus, and they are doing the next thing that the Jewish parents, especially those religious and devout Jewish parents did. They're bringing him to the temple to consecrate him to the Lord, or uh, to, we think of it as dedicate. 
to dedicate him to the Lord. This was something that they'd been doing for hundreds of years, especially the firstborn had to be redeemed because if you remember the story of Passover and the Exodus way back then, uh, God protected the firstborn of Israel. But he said, I'm protecting them, but you have to redeem them. And the way that they redeemed them, they would bring an offering to the temple. Now, Mary and Joseph were poor, so they brought the offering of poor people. They brought two birds to give as their offering uh, in exchange for the life of their firstborn. All of this was very normal uh, for, for Jewish parents, and there were probably a number of parents in the temple that day doing something very similar. But the next thing that happened was very unusual. And that is that this man, Simeon, who's probably an elderly man, uh, comes to Mary and Joseph and takes the baby Jesus in his arms. Can you imagine? I mean, I, you know, are, have you been around people with newborns recently? They tend to be a little protective of their, of their infants, right? Especially if they're only a few weeks old. Totally understandable. I get it. But here's this guy, Simeon. He comes up to Mary and Joseph, and, and we don't, the Bible doesn't really tell us if he asked or, or what was going on, but somehow uh, Mary uh, and Joseph must have a thought that this is a safe man and this is the right thing to do and they they give him the baby Jesus and he holds him in his arms and he says sovereign lord as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people israel you see, Simeon had been waiting for who knows how long to know that the Messiah had been born. That's what the consolation of Israel means. It's the Messiah. It's the promised one. It's the one that all of Israel had been hoping would come someday to, to restore glory to their people, right? To make them a, a strong nation again and, and to save them uh, from everything they needed saving from. And he had been waiting for this because the Holy Spirit had promised him that he would see the Messiah. And he hadn't yet. But now the day has come. He knows it. How does he know it? We don't know. Holy Spirit must have been speaking to him about that. Holy Spirit must have pointed out. Simeon, that couple over there with that baby, that baby is the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. You go to him. You go to him and you take him in his arms because I promised you that you would see him and today you will, right? Wonderful thing, wonderful story. But I want you to think about what it was like for Simeon just a few days before this. Where was Simeon then? Well, he was where a lot of us find ourselves at various times in life. He was in the waiting room, right? He was in the waiting room. He had the promise that he would see the Messiah, but he didn't have the reality. All he had was a promise, and he didn't know how long it was going to take for that promise to become reality. All he could do was to wait and to trust. All people of faith will find themselves in waiting rooms. All of us will. It's a normal part of our faith journey with the Lord is to go through those times, especially those very important and significant times when we're just waiting. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus back in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, you, you can you see right away uh, people who had to wait. So the first name given us there is Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham, right? God promised him a son. He was already getting on in years, right? And so was his wife Sarah. Uh, but God said, you're going to have a son. They waited about 10 years. And after 10 years, they kind of got impatient. And they thought, well, maybe, you know, we should bring this about our way. You know, maybe, maybe this is the plan of God. We'll do it 
it ourselves through Hagar. But God had not promised a son through Hagar. He had promised a son through Sarah. And so they went ahead and they, they uh, uh, oh boy, I just walked myself into a, okay, a corner. Anyway, um, uh, they had a son through Hagar. And, uh, okay, and, but, uh, but God said, no, this isn't, this isn't the son I promised you. You're going to continue to wait. Fifteen, almost 15 more years they wait before Isaac is born. Long period of waiting between promise and reality. And then Jacob, we read about Jacob, and you know the story of Jacob. Jacob uh, went back to, uh, to the point where some of his people lived, and he, he saw Rachel, and he fell in love with Rachel. He wanted to marry her right away. And Rachel's father said, no, you're not going to marry Rachel right away. Uh, if you want to marry Rachel, then you've got to work for me seven years, and then you can marry my daughter. And so uh, Jacob did. And I love that the Bible says it seemed like just a few days because he was so in love with Rachel. To me, that seems paradoxical because I'm thinking, you know, if you're that madly in love with somebody and you have to see them and talk with them every day for seven years, I would think that would be tearing your heart out while you're waiting for, for the opportunity or for the time to come when you could get married. But anyway, Ra Jacob had to wait seven years for that marriage to happen. And then we read about David. David was promised that he would be the king of Israel. God gave him that promise. But Saul was the king at the time, and David had to wait for that. How long? 15 to 17 years David waited between the promise to be made king and the reality of becoming the king. And during that time, his life was not easy. He was on the run for his life many of the days uh, during those 15, 17 years because Saul wanted to kill him. So David is hiding out in caves. He's pretending to be insane. He's just trying to survive until finally he has the chance to become the king. We read in verse 11 about the exile. The exiles when the Israelites were taken to Babylon. Seventy years they waited in Babylon in order to return to their homes and rebuild their city and rebuild their homes and rebuild the city walls. Seventy years they waited. And then we come to Joseph and Mary, and they wait the normal nine months to have the baby. And then, and then shortly after that, they have to flee to Egypt because King Herod wants to kill the baby. So they go to Egypt, and we don't know exactly how long they were in Egypt, but we just know that they had to wait in a foreign land before they could come home and begin their lives with their people. Waiting, it happens over and over and over again in the biblical story, and it happens over and over and over again in our own faith stories. Waiting is a real part of the life of faith. You know, we have God's promises. We don't have his calendar. Wouldn't you love to have God's calendar along with the promises? Wouldn't you love for God to say to you, listen, on, on March the 12th, I almost said March the 9th, that's the first day that Deb and I went on a date. Anyway, on March the 12th, okay, um, that you, this is going to happen for you. This thing you've been waiting for is going to happen. Well, maybe we'd like to know that. Maybe there's reasons why it's better for us not to know that. But here's the point I want to make about waiting. We can waste our waiting time or we can allow God to use our waiting time to work in us and through us. Uh, Bob Hope, I read the story about Bob Hope. He said he had six brothers, and he, seen, he said he learned to dance while waiting for the bathroom, okay? Now, there's a guy who knew how to use his waiting time, right? All right. <laughs> anyway, okay, so waiting time can be wasted, right? We can waste that waiting time. What do I mean by that? We can allow our waiting time to, to move us into places of bitterness or anxiety or hopelessness, right? We can, we can question our faith in God. We can question, you know, God's trustworthiness. We can, we can waste that waiting time so that it, 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 it brings us down. It, it, it sabotages our faith. Or we can let God use that time to grow us, to grow our trust, to grow us in our perseverance in faith. 
uh, to learn humility. You know, um, our culture does not help us with this. This is something we have to fight culturally because our culture says, if you want it, you should be able to have it right now. How many of you remember this sound? This is going to take a minute. Remember? <laughs> and we were just so glad to get connected, right? Even if it took 15, 20 minutes or 15, 20 tries, right? So glad just to get on the internet, right? Until somebody in the other room picked up the receiver and we got cut off, <laughs> right? right? Now, I have a laptop. My laptop, I had a laptop last year, and, and, and this is not an exaggeration. I had to start it out. I had to start my Zoom meetings like a half an hour before meeting time because it was so old and it was so slow. And then I got a new laptop, right? Now I can get on Zoom in a couple of minutes. Too slow. I want to be on now. I want to open up that computer, and there it is. I'm ready to go, right? That's the culture that we live in, right? You don't want to wait for your paycheck. You want your money now. There are companies that will be glad to give it to you days early for a little fee. Uh, you can get your money early, right? You don't want three-day delivery. You can pay for two-day delivery, one-day delivery. Let's get it today, right? This is the culture that we live in. It's pushing us to be more and more impatient, to, to believe that we deserve to get what we want right now. Now, we deserve to have it. And God is going to consistently teach us, I want you to learn to wait. I want you to learn to be patient. I want you to learn to trust me. Right? There are things that happen in life that we just cannot speed up. There are times we're forced into a waiting room that we don't want to be in. Like when we have, uh, when we want to be pregnant and it's not happening or we get a medical diagnosis that's going to take months, maybe years, to address. When we're trying to reconcile with someone who does not want to speak to us. You know, these are the kinds of things that push us into the waiting room, and, and, and they, they are times when our faith can be tested and tried. I wonder if Simeon ever questioned God while he was waiting. I wonder if he ever got up and said, you know, I'm getting so old, I'm getting old, and God promised that I would see the Messiah, but I haven't seen him yet. Has God forgotten about that promise? Has God changed his mind? Why hasn't it happened yet? I don't know for sure that Simeon had those thoughts. The Bible says he was righteous and devout, but this is something I know for sure people of faith do have questions like that at times. People of faith can get to those places. We're human beings. What do you like when you're in a waiting room? Do you get bitter? Do you get anxious? Does your hope wane or your faith wobble? Do you think that God has stopped caring or has forgotten about you? Do you keep up your communication with him? Do you remember Isaiah 43, verse 2? When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. Or Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus says, I am with you always. Can you say with the psalmist in Psalm 31, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God, and my times are in your hands. Can you say that? Do you have faith in God when you're waiting? James chapter 5, he, he's responding to this issue, and he says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You know, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. He's talking about the Christians of his day. They are going through difficult times. There's persecution. They're suffering. They're going through hardship. And they're saying, Jesus promised he would come back and he would make everything right. He promised to come back and, and make this whole world under his reign. When is it going to happen? He's not here yet. It's already been 20, 30 years, and he hasn't come back yet. And James is saying, listen, be patient. He'll come. He'll come. But don't let your impatience, don't let your, your, your anxious waiting lead you to bitterness and grumbling. Think about the farmer. We have farmers in our midst. Farmers want to grow a crop. What do they do? They prepare the soil. They plant the seed. They keep the birds away, right? They weed, but that's all they can do. They have to let God bring the sun, bring the rain, and in time begin to see that crop. And then they have to be patient. They can't neglect the weeding. They can't, they can't pull the crop too early. They have to be patient. They have to let it come to its fullness. And God is saying to us, I will bring things to their fullness. Be patient. Trust in me. Learning to wait on God, hopefully and expectantly, that's the hard work of faith. It's the hard work of faith. We need to learn to wait on God, hopefully and expectantly and trust in his unfailing love. Again, there's nothing easy about that. Let me give you some just ideas, just a couple of ideas to get you thinking about how you might spend your waiting time. Like in a doctor's waiting room, you know that we maybe ought to change the name of that. It's, it's a doctor's praying room because prayer is a great thing to do when you're in a doctor's or a hospital's waiting room. Pray for yourself for sure, but look around and pray for the others who are there. You don't have to know why they're there. Just pray for them. When you're at a railroad stop and there's a very slow train going by, a train of 100 cars or more, turn on Christian radio. Listen to a song. Really listen to the words or, or go over that verse that you've been working on memorizing. And if you get lost in your thoughts or you get lost in the song and the crossing guards go up and the cars start to move, but you're still lost in your thoughts, don't worry about it. The guy behind you will honk his horn. He'll get you moving again. Not a problem. And if you're waiting for a relationship to be restored, ask God if you've done all you should. You know, have you written a letter? Have you made the call? Have you invited to coffee? And if you've done everything you can, give it to God. Continue to pray about it. And be patient. Let God do his work. Waiting isn't always easy. But God can be trusted. And he's inviting us to look to him to help us through these waiting times. C.H. Spurgeon said something that I think is important, though. He said, we shouldn't grow weary of waiting upon God. We just need to remember how long God has waited for us. For some of us, it took a long time between God's initial call to trust him and the moment we actually surrendered our lives to him. Some of you here today might still be in that waiting room there. God has been calling you. He's been inviting you to a relationship, and, and you have just been waiting to do that. Let me encourage you to do that today, even now. God is waiting. He's not going to force you. But he wants that relationship. And he's extended the offer through his son, Jesus. 
and he invites you to say yes to Jesus, yes to him. And then he will give you more and more power, more and more strength, more and more faith. Let me close with this from Psalm 33. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Would you please stand? I'll give you the takeaway. It's very simple. Don't waste the waiting time. Let God use your time of waiting to grow you in your faith and your trust in him, and he will do it. Thank you for being here this morning. It's always a joy to worship with you. Go in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.